0: So hello and welcome. Happy Friday. Today is Friday, October the 14th, and this is episode number 179 of Backyard Beekeeping Questions and Answers. I'm Frederick Dunn, and this is The Way to Be. So I'm glad that you're here with me today. Uh, You might be wondering what's going on outside here where I live. Well, it's 57 degrees Fahrenheit, sunny with partly cloudy conditions, 14 degrees Celsius and windy, so... I'm not really that upset about being inside right now although i still have a lot to do hopefully in the northeastern united states or colder climates here you're already packed down for winter because this is crunch time halfway through october already if you want to know what we're going to talk about today please look down in the video description below and you'll see all the topics in order with related links if there are any So the other thing is, how can you submit your own question? You can go to thewaytobe.org and click on the page titled The Way to Be. And there's a form there that you can fill out. So what else can I talk about? Not much. Let's just jump right into it. We have stuff to do. You have stuff to do. And it's also a podcast, by the way, on Podbean, also by the name The Way to Be. Let's jump right in with question number one, starting from Crystal from Quebec City, Quebec, Canada. So how do you like the hive gate? I'm trying one now and through this winter. So I was wondering your take on them since you've used them for at least a year now. Over the winter, will it be necessary to pull it out and clean it? So a lot of you don't know probably what a hive gate is. Have a page for that too on my main website while we're talking about things here. This is a hive gate. It's an entrance to your beehive. It's a narrow entrance. That has a long corridor that your bees pass through and it helps with a lot of different things inside the hive this gets explained on my website so i won't go into a super big list of details here but i do want to show you what it is now i'm using it as configured here on a solid bottom board and uh, the entrance that i put on here is cut specifically for the hive gate that's so you can pull it out because one of the questions here is do you pull them out do you need to pull them out in winter time I pull them out there was only one hive in all of them that had these on we had these on eight hives last winter and uh, what I like to do when there's a heavy snow out there and then we're getting these warm-up days when the bees are going to do their cleansing flights I go out there and I use a tool to hook in here which is not by the same company they just happen to be the same color This is what I use to clean out my bottom boards in wintertime. But I get this hook in here and I pull this out and then I shake it out and then I put it right back in there. If there are enough dead bees to block it, you wouldn't know. Now I do have an endoscope that I can also stick in there to see what's going on, but it's much more convenient to pull them out. Now, was it necessary? That's the question. Well, all but one colony uh never was blocked with bees so they were using it the other thing is there's a configuration option here when you get the metal plate that comes with it which i just happen to have over here the metal plate has a single hive gate option or a double hive gate option if you have large colonies of bees or if you have um, summer and winter configuration changes that you want to do and it's sized perfectly for the eight frame bottom board. One of the things I noticed when using this, first of all, if you're in a really cold climate, this gets plenty cold. In fact, frost builds up on it. The other thing is when I look through the back, I drill quarter inch diameter holes in the back of my hives. I do that because that's also how I provide oxalic acid vaporization treatments for those of you who need to treat with OA. So what I did is then I could see what's going on inside the colony. On this bottom board, I could also see that there was an air gap at the bottom of this and the bees were confused by that. They kept going to the light. Honey bees naturally follow light whenever it penetrates the hive. So they were going towards the front and falling back and forth. So they did seem a little bit confused about that. Although most of the resident bees definitely uh, were using the channel. So that's actually one of the methods that the inventor wanted was for Wasps that get inside your hive to be confused and go towards that front entrance and not understand that they need to go through this Uh, The other thing was resident honeybees figure it out Which way is in and out but robber bees so potential thieves would get in here And they'd be the ones up against the front which gives your resident bees an opportunity to kill them Right there and take them out. So we took a lot of videos showing exactly that. That's what they were doing But I'm not personally using the metal anymore. The other thing is I only had one winter with them um, but the ones that had doubles on them through winter did not do as well as those who had a single channel so this is my configuration for all of the hive gate hives going to this winter a single hive gate and a single entrance on the hive the other thing is how wide to cut this hole you might be wondering so if you've got one of these notice that there's two uh dimensions here for the outside of this let me get this out of the way the largest part here is at the entrance itself but if you look back here there's a radius and there's a hole right here where you could put a screw that becomes the pivot point because the theory is that you're supposed to keep this entrance underneath your cluster inside the hive Uh, i don't use the screw because again as i mentioned before i like to be able to pull it out But this dimension right here is where you cut your opening in your entrance reduction opening there so if your entrance reducer just trace the outsides of this make that cut and then it will stop here and you'll have room to pivot so it's very simple Um, so yeah i'm using them and for overwinter is it necessary to pull them out 90 percent of the time probably not necessary but what if you pull it out and didn't need to no big deal, you wasted some time. You get to hang out with your bees on one of those sunny winter days. But uh, if you come to a hive where you needed to pull them out and you didn't pull it out, then you're one of those people in spring that finds a pile of dead bees at an entrance that prevented your other bees from doing cleansing flights. So that's not good. The other thing, so clean them. That's my recommendation, clean them. If you don't have to and they didn't need it, fine but it didn't hurt. So adding that extra step doesn't bother backyard beekeeping. The other thing is here's your entrance reducer. This is the position I use it in. Some people have small hive beetles and things like that. And they have found that by flipping it over and having this extend out a little bit, confuses small hive beetles so that they don't go into the hive. So there's a bonus point there. Now, if you do that, I recommend that inside on your landing board, you put some kind of shim under this because this probably gets held just by having it through. But if you just put some little screw or something in the bottom of this here to give it support inside, equal to this thickness right here, then uh, as it moves side to side, the screw moves with it and it stays supported so it doesn't go to the floor. So there's another advantage to that, by the way. The way that I do it like this, what are the bees gonna do when there's any kind of crevice or crack around here? They're gonna propolize it. So they had one that uh, got propolized through spring. And of course I'm not pulling it out, looking to clean out dead bees once the weather warms up. It's only during the winter time that I did that. So this was really glued to the bottom. So then the only way to get this out was to pull the super, pull the brood box and then get down here with your hive tool and scrape it off from underneath so you can release the propolis because I tried with my blue cleaner tool there, which comes from bee smart designs, by the way, um, I tried to clean it out with that and what I ended up doing was breaking the hive gate and pulling the top piece off because this bottom piece was glued down so tests are ongoing still Um, for those that were in the northwest they reported really good results specifically using it as a robbing screen but the inventor wants us all to know there is much more going on with the thermal dynamics and the way the bees manage air when this comes in directly underneath your cluster And of course in the winter time for my bees, the cluster doesn't stay down here. So I also use a slatted rack. That is not part of the recommended use by the designer. They want your cluster to be very close to this so that any robbers that come in here are coming right under the cluster and engage that outer mantle of the cluster, which is where the guard bees are. And they're going to take care of business there. But my thinking was in the winter time, my cluster goes way up here. The slatted rack is a two inch spacer down here and still benefits the hive. So but that is not the way the inventor wanted it to be used. So that's the hive gate and that's how I use it and it's still working Um, and I know that it's not primarily just a robbing protection system but that's what it works the best for me here. The colonies that have those on have no problems with wasps right now which are currently attacking the hives and trying to get in and attack maybe that's too strong of a word because it's always little individuals are scooting in from the sides and stuff that's why this time of year please make sure your entrances are reduced to manage that moving on to question number two which comes from Eric from Summersworth New Hampshire my question is is it okay to put a box of harvested honey frames on top of the insulated inner cover over and let the bees clean them up for a few days, then store them in a tote instead of a deep freezer. Sounds logical and efficient to me. What do you do with your frames after harvesting honey? Okay, so a lot of us have harvested honey right now. This is the time of year we're packing down, we're collecting the leftover frames and the little bits and pieces of honey that are left over. We don't want a bunch of empty space on the hive, so we want to close it down. And it is very common for a lot of people to, after they've extracted their frames to take those empty, sticky drawn comb frames and put them right back on the hive they came off of and let them clean them up. And that's fine if you do that. The problem is it's another cycle of opening up your hive. This time of year, it's very critical. We don't get very many warm days anymore. So I don't personally like to do that. I know a lot of people do and it's their standard operating procedure. But uh, once I pulled off the honey, the bees are upset enough that we did that. We altered their interior space. They're also propolizing and sealing up the joints that we just opened up again. So if we put them back on, does it satisfy the requirement? In other words, is it instead of freezing, does it do the same thing? Probably not, because the purpose of freezing is not obviously to clean up the frames, so the freezing stage would still exist. Um, So, if you clean up the frames, you still would put it in the freezer to make sure and kill off any potential wax moth, eggs and things like that. Uh, I have to also admit that I don't personally, so now we get into what I personally do. What's recommended, what I personally do sometimes can differ. So I take mine off and I put them at a robbing station. And my thinking is the robbing bees clean everything up. There's hornets and wasps there as well. So it's kind of communal and uh, they all clean it up. And there is some chewing that goes on. So they remove the caps. There's piles of chewed up beeswax on the table there, which you can collect. There's no reason to lose that. Uh, And then do I personally cycle them through the freezer? No, I don't. I put them right in racks since they're now empty frames and they're dry and they're not sticky anymore. You can add a step to that. So you can, if you've got a power washer or something, and I'm not suggesting that you power wash them, but what power washers do is allow you to add something to the water that you're spraying your frames with. So I have a power washer. You can add some bleach solution. Straight bleach, nothing else. This isn't like laundry fabric softener bleach. Straight bleach that gets mixed with the water that you spray your frames down with. And then that dries off, and then now they go straight into storage. So any bacteria, for example, that would exist on there, it's just the same that uh, the dwell time from the bleach, bleach dissipates on its own, and the bees don't care about bleach. Smells like a swimming pool. Now I'm not saying put the bleach on 100%. You mix it with the water, so it's much less than a 10% bleach solution. Uh, so you spray that off, air it off, and then I put them in uh, hive butler totes. The other option is, and the reason I I like, now so this is backyard beekeeping. If you have a whole pile of hive butler totes like I do, they take up a lot of space. But they do completely enclose your frames. So the frames in hive butler totes uh, can be stacked. And I stack them five totes high. And the option is to put them back in the frames, then of course, in the frames, yeah. So 10 frames, excuse me, frames, boxes. Let's get our terminology figured out. The frames go in the boxes. So then we stack the boxes 90 degrees to one another and we have lots of air, th- air through there. And we've also sprayed that down. One of the advantages to putting them in hive butler totes is now my boxes are freed up for reconditioning. So now I can scrape down the propolis. I can see which boxes need to be refurbished. Maybe they need some joints clamped and glued. Maybe we need to renew some screen, some screws and things like that. So if your frames are in them, then you can't do all of that. The other thing is where my totes are, and you can make your own totes. It doesn't have to be a hive butler tote, but uh, those are just convenient because they're used for a lot of other things other than just storing your frames. But empty frames stored in hive butler totes uh, in an unheated building. So where I live, we get such cold weather that uh, that is the free cycle for me. So it goes through cold storage through winter. So if there were any wax moth eggs or anything like that, and I've not had that problem. The only time I had a problem with wax moths and uh, for them hatching out, and it's when I had a hive that was a dead out that I didn't know about. Maybe they didn't have a queen, they died. Now in the middle of winter, if that happens, you've got time to clean things up before those pests move in because those pests don't handle the freezing weather again. But as soon as spring breaks, you got to get out there and clean up your stuff. So by putting them in storage, I've not had that problem either. If we had a complete dead out that was put in storage, because they also didn't happen to produce any comb, or, or not comb, but produce any stored honey. And maybe there's not a lot of pollen in there. Often when a colony dies out, it gets robbed as well. So once it's robbed, the honey and resources are gone. So we tend to feel okay about that, put it in storage, close it up those are the ones that tend to get occupied by uh, wax moths and things like that that progress through those comb uh, without us knowing about it because we've kind of written off the hive it's on the back burner and we don't take care of it so that's another thing i highly recommend if you've got a dead out for example or a colony that you're sure to lose i would go ahead and dismantle it clean everything up and uh, put that away. But instead of feeding your frames back to your bees, let's say your yard's really small and you don't have a robbing station. And so you don't want to put your frames out 10 feet from your hive because then we're bringing in robbing bees from all over which then transfer themselves to robbing your hives as soon as they're out of that resource. So let's go back to the power washer. Uh, what I would do then is instead of feeding them back at all I would just take the sticky frames that have been extracted and I would hose them all down with fresh water and a bleach solution and then let them dry in the open air and then put them into storage so sure your bees don't get to glean those last little bits and pieces we kind of use the bees for cleanup that's what I do because they do a thorough job but the option to that is just washing them off the fresh water and somewhere around a 3 to 5% bleach solution. And then they're dried in the sun. they are uh, already the bacteria on them. The surface bacteria would be defeated and they can go right into storage. So lots of ways to do this. Lots of people do different things. And my theory this year too is that I think these predator wasps that are out there robbing your frames after you've extracted, which is still what I like to do robbing station, but I have a big yard. Uh, I think they're also going after any eggs and things like that, they have incredibly keen senses of smell. And I think they can find little eggs and maybe even hatched out wax moth larvae that might be in the comb and I think they chew it right out of there. So the chewing of the comb and things like that I don't see as a big problem either. So moving on to question number three, this comes from Christopher Smith. I'm a new beekeeper second season trying to follow dr leo's methods of natural beekeeping i live in zone 8 in southwest oregon last season ended with three dead hives this season i started out with four hives i caught two swarms and purchased two hives locally the hives are located in a southwest facing field above my house i have one horizontal lang and three insulated Langstroth hives in the dimensions of one deep and one medium. Like Dr. Leo's, lands hives but wider. The hives appear very healthy. Until recently, I have not been treated for varroa. I stumbled across a video about thermal control of varroa mites, and it got me thinking if my area naturally is treating the hives with our summer heat. We recently went through temps above 100 degrees for a week. Intrigued by this, I checked one of my hives with a screen bottom board and was amazed at the number of dead mites I found. A month earlier, I saw very few. So it appears that my area's recent heat spell did kill many mites. As a result, I have now treated with oxalic acid vapor, assuming all four hives are infected. Can you discuss the use of heat whether it be natural or from a heat source to treat Varroa mites, it seems like an ingenious way to control them. Okay. First of all, that's a lot of dead hives, uh, for starters, but let's go into does heat, uh, from the weather kill mites and not the bees? So here's the thing that we have to think about. Honeybees regulate the temperature inside the hive extremely well, and a lot of studies have been done to stress test the bees to see what they can handle when the outside temps are high, and they did a lot of these tests in uh, Hawaii. Uh, And they placed hives on lava flow areas, so it's obsidian everywhere. And they were much higher than 100 degrees, and the bees, as long as they had access to fresh water, were able to keep the interior climate of the hive livable. In other words it would not have reached a temperature that would kill the uh, varroa destructor mites. So the bees ability to handle that was really amazing and those studies were done with Dr. Seely, Thomas Sealy from Cornell University and others that were involved. So bees can really ramp up their cooling activities when a hive is heated and that's what they do. The other thing is where are the mites located? Most of them are going to be around the brood area. So even though maybe in some of the honey super area, you could find that in really hot climates, sometimes the honeycomb fails, sometimes it melts, sometimes your honey can start running down inside the hive if the colony that's occupying the hive is not big enough to manage the space. This comes into play when people have multiple supers on a hive. Smaller hives with larger populations of bees can handle the temperatures hives that are larger than the bees otherwise would normally manage and maybe the numbers of bees are down maybe there's been a recent swarm or something like that so we have extra boxes that are not covered in bees at night so those would uh, be at risk of melting wax and things like that the comb could melt but the area where the brood is that's where their future lies so they're going to concentrate their cooling activities on the brood and that's also where the mites would be and the mites would therefore be protected right along with developing larvae So in just just basic theory uh, We would say that the environmental heat would not necessarily kill the mites If I had a big die-off of mites in the bottom of a screen board I'd be very concerned and I would do a mite count I know that because you're following the philosophies of dr. Leo Sharashkin he does not encourage that and he's a live and let live kind of beekeeper in other words if the if the bees died out because we were overwhelmed with mites he believes that you just don't work with those bees and you go on and work with those who do survive so that's not my personal philosophy i like dr leo and he has a great approach to beekeeping but if we have varroa destructor mites my practice is to know the numbers and then of course to treat to keep mites under control So then that leaves us with the next part of the question. Is there a thermal treatment for bees? There are. In fact, there are several. And it's not new. A lot of companies have come out with thermal pads, thermal hives, like the entire hive would heat up. Uh, And the key is that they want the hive to get to its highest temperature that leaves your bees alive, but creeps over that margin of how hot your varroa destructor mites can handle it. So the other thing is, I believe they leave the entrances open in some of the demonstrations I've seen. So a lot of the bees just migrate out on the outside of the hive while the interior of the hive is being heated. Uh, And you're also heating all of your brood to maximum temperatures. And inside what's going on is the bees are doing their best to keep those areas cool because the heating that's going on in the hive to get them to that level has to continue for an extended period of time. So what they're doing is initially a heat blast your bees can overcome. So they would fan like crazy, they would move air rapidly over their brood areas, trying to keep it cool because they want a a thermal range between 94 and 97 degrees Fahrenheit on the brood. The brood's at risk when those temperatures go much higher. So other parts of those studies are kind of incomplete because they don't always do a good job of describing what's happened to the brood. We also know that queen honeybees can have their fertility potentially damaged when they're exposed to high temperatures that's why sometimes queens that are fertile and laying ship in the summertime and get exposed to high heat conditions in transit and then show up either infertile or a much reduced fertility so they don't produce the way they otherwise would so the other thing is and this is i talked to dr david peck at better Bee about this method because i thought it is a treatment you know technically a chemical-free treatment of varroa destructor mites to have some kind of thermal system that brings the bees up to temperature, destroys the mites, and then we gradually bring the temperature back down and everything is great and we have this massive die-off of mites. Um, It hasn't worked so far. No one that we know of has a system that consistently fixes that situation. There are a lot of people, because I asked this question, we have members of my own beekeepers association One couple in particular practices thermal treatment for mite control and they say they have no mites. And that's fantastic, but they're one of the few that it's working like that for. So again, many companies come out with it, engineers are doing that kind of thing. I personally, the systems are expensive and the systems, uh, again, stress your bees for an extended period of time. So the secondary impact is what is really not well-defined, even by the companies that are putting it out there. They're not very good at answering questions. There are some YouTube videos about them. And I've asked questions to those companies to get details about potential harm to the queen. In other words, are they treating it like other treatments where we keep as many of the adult bees as we can and we're sacrificing a bunch of bees to do it, to kill the mites, and then afterwards, maybe we'll requeen it. Another method that some people have suggested is if you're going to do a thermal treatment, get your queen out of there, put her in temporary holding in like a queen mating nuke or something like that with some of her workers. And of course, don't bring brood with her because that would be potentially transferring mites to safety. So then you move your queen out, stress your hives thermally, and then of course, get uh, varroa mites out of there and then reintroduce the queen afterwards so then you guarantee that her fertility was not damaged by heat so there's a lot of moving parts to it the other thing is it uh, isn't really practical for a large number of beehives so if you're just a backyard beekeeper three or four then you probably have the time to do that you're going to have to have a power source it's probably not going to be an inverter because they draw a lot of power and uh I can't give you the exact parameters because each of these companies have their own time frames, the dwell time for high heat. So it, it sounds good, but I'm personally, I can't recommend one because number one, I don't get my questions answered. And so I can't with any, you know, integrity tell you that that's the way to go. And so I defer to people like Dr. Peck who do research uh, better be Uh, Puts out Varroa control measures that they know have efficacy and that it's safe for your bees Otherwise, they won't market it there So I go to people like that for other information I don't know what they cost if you personally have experience if you're watching or listening And you have a thermal system that is producing incredible results Send us a link uh, name the video or name the company that's making one and then we can do further research on it if it really worked well and this is the philosophy that others have had that are much above my pay grade uh, that if it worked really well or as well as described we would all be doing it so that kind of makes sense to me if it really was working i think a chemical free treatment method would be fantastic so my answer to this is no on the environment uh, when it comes to thermal treatment uh, companies and systems that are being sold, even the whole hive that's a smart hive that can heat up itself and everything, uh, wait for the science as always uh, to come through. And it it's always interesting to me when people just want other people to say it works, but we don't want any detailed uh, evaluation with a scientific method that could be repeated and that we could validate damage to brood eggs in all the different stages of development, including queen fertility. So there's a lot left in the open there. Good question though, because I'm sure a lot of people have had these thoughts. Question number four comes from the YouTube channel is Be Kind and Be Free. I believe you said that you let the bees clean out the wet super frames before you stored them. I tried that, I set them far down a long driveway and the bees are killing each other in mass, and ripping apart all that beautiful drawn comb to the foundation. It's a crazy frenzy. I normally put them back on the hive in summer, but I didn't want to disturb the hives repeatedly and bring sticky supers into the apiary. Takes them just minutes to go crazy, and I'm going to pause there, and that's true. By the way, when we open beehives, hives, because I just recently took my final honey supers off. Um, It occurred to me that one of the problems we have is when we're removing honey supers, we pull off the outer cover, we pull off the inner cover, and usually there's comb right under the inner cover that has stored honey in it. So even when we pull off the inner cover, all that scent of honey goes into the air. At a time of year, right now, when the bees are searching for every last morsel they can find, and in no time, they're gonna be on that hive. So we have to limit our time and exposure of that high because I want that super. So another thing that occurred to me is uh, when I want that super to come off, I tried two methods because there was another fume board method that I was testing out, fume board chemical that I talked about in I believe the last Q&A. So I wanted to try the fume board, see how long it would take to get them out with the fume board. But the other thing is my favorite method and it remains my favorite. So I'll say that now. It doesn't change the smell of anything. It's the um, escape board. And I thought I had one sitting right here. And you know what? Right after the show is over, I'm going to get up and that escape going to be looking right at me. But I use the Ciracell black plastic escape boards. And so it does two things because we don't want to fool with all that runny honey anyway when we're pulling off a super. So I leave the inner cover on, take the outer cover off, pry up the top super that I'm gonna pull off, sometimes two, and I give that a twist, lift it up, set it aside, put the escape board on right away, bring that super back and put it right back on. And it's guaranteed to be dripping with honey because between the frames, they've stored a lot of honey this time of year and that goes onto that escape board. So then I leave that overnight, and it only dropped to the 50s throughout the night. And the next day, I had the best escape board experience that I've ever had. There would be like one or two bees left in the super. All of the rest of the bees are underneath, collected on the underside of that escape board, the Cirrusel design. And it's because they're trying to get back through those cracks and openings to get back up into the upper super, but they can't do it. But the good news is that on their way out, they cleaned up all the honey that was coming out of the disturbed honey cells. And then the honey that dripped down onto the escape board, they also cleaned all of that up. So it made for a very slick getaway the following day. So now it becomes a two-day evolution, though. So using the escape board, just as described, you know, we pull it up, put the escape board on, close everything back up, come back the next day. Fume boards are supposed to work much faster while you're there so you spray your bee repellent on you put your fume board on but you need heat to make that work and we didn't really it was the day that we hit the 70s so that's kind of a minimum temperature when I'd like to pull honey supers off and uh, I wasn't really happy with the fume board activity because there were still quite a few bees in there even after 15 to 20 minutes and I saturated the board with that stuff so it worked but not like the escape boards so the escape boards are my go-to going forward i was willing to try something else but the other thing is with fume boards even though the scent is mild and friendly and all that stuff to us you are providing the opportunity for some of your honey to take on that smell even if it's almonds or whatever it happens to be fume boards or escape boards don't alter the smell of your honey at all. So I really like that. And uh, so that cuts down on the mayhem because the bees clean it up in there while you're using your skateboard overnight. When you pull it, there's no more honey dripping everywhere. So you don't have that rush. And your bees are challenged because they come after everything. So I'm afraid I have no choice though because they have too many for the freezer. And I'm sure ants and other pests will come for the feast if I just put them back in the barn. How also do you keep the bees from back-filling wet supers? Well, this time of year, back-filling wet supers is not a problem because they're not storing honey anymore. The nectar and stuff that they're gathering from the environment this time of year, the residuals, the stuff that's barely still out there, is being used for ready consumption because they're still rearing brood and you're gonna find that those open cells stay open. So they're not quick to cap honey this time of year. That becomes their ready consumption honey. So backfilling supers this time of year, mid-October, for those that might be watching this years from now, um, it's too late for them to be storing honey in, even though we put frames with drawn cells and things like that. So putting them back on is just a cleanup move and then taking them right back off. But as I said before, it's another harassment of your hive. You're gonna pull them apart again, just to use them for cleanup. So in my opinion, you're much better off having a robbing station well away from your bees. And again, as I mentioned before, if your, your yard is too small to set up a meaningful robbing station, you know, 50 feet or more away from your hives, which 50 feet would be really close. Mine right now is hundred yards out, but uh, you can fall back on the, instead of letting your bees clean it up, spray it spray it down with fresh water, dilute the honey away. You'll eliminate robbing. Although, the grass that you that is underneath where you spray all your uh, hunting frames off will be visited by lots of bees they'll be all over the grass that's fine with me as long as they're staying away from the frames so i hope that makes sense this is a category where there is there are a lot of different methods of dealing with it but uh, just think about each time you open your hives is that serving you or the bees and if they're really only going to get We're using them to clean up the frames and if they're really not getting that much honey out of it, I'm a bigger fan of cleaning them up elsewhere and then not putting anything back in your hives until spring. And backfilling is something you would think about earlier in the year and then we want them to backfill because that's the whole point of getting them off. In fact, bringing ready drawn comb to the hive so that when you're pulling off their current stores, this is earlier in the year now when we expect them to produce more, we pull away a capped honey and in the same visit to your hive, you're putting in drawn comb and frames so they can continue to work. And you don't have to come back, tear it apart again within the next couple of days and restore the frame. So pulling them away, putting drawn comb in right then and leaving them closed up with a single visit is much better for the bees. They also won't be flying around trying to sting everybody. There's always two or three of them that get overly upset. They do not want you in their hive. I don't care what kind of connection you think you have with your bees. You can be the best bee whisperer on earth and there's not a bee out there that wants you to pull apart the hive and get in there and see what's going on or remove their frames or move things around. So we're down to just a few good days here where they can still propolize things because they need warmth to do it. Question number five, Michelle from Troy. Last year, I made a skirt of double bubble for my long hive, stapling it, stapling it just under the lid and extending to the ground. My objective was to prevent wind from whipping underneath the hive. In your talks, you create a surrounded airspace. I did not have double bubble on the ground or on the bottom of the hive. I thought maybe the heat from the ground would rise and possibly warm the enclosure of double bubble material if it did not reflect it back into the ground. Any thoughts? Also, is there a tape that holds up well to winter? The duct tape I used last year fared poorly. Okay, well double bubble, by the way, for me, is new this year. So i don't have a lot of history with it i find out that other people have been using it right along Uh, another viewer sent photos of their beehives completely wrapped in double bubbles so what is double bubble it was in the cover photo but this is the stuff comes in rolls and by the way there are other names for different methods and stuff there's reflect text there's stuff where all it is is this aluminized paper covering And by the way, pay attention to the thickness of this stuff because there's single bubble and there's double bubble. So double bubble is what you're looking for. But to give some thought to this, I personally am not gonna be wrapping this on the outside of any of my hives. Now, if I saw a hive that was in an emergency situation, I go through there and it's 27 degrees and there's a big snow going on. And I walk past a hive and I see a crack between two boxes and I see a bunch of little bee faces in there yeah I would go outside and do an emergency wrapping of that hive but if all the joints are sealed and they're good to go I don't see any reason to wrap the outside I want to make sure they have the insulated inner cover and uh, I want to make sure that the feeding space the feeder shim is also insulated that's where I Wrap this stuff around the whole thing. This is new for me this year. So I don't even know how that is going to work yet But I can answer questions about what I'm doing. In other words, um, I Also have this on my observation hives My observation hives are in an unheated building So what I did is I made little hot pockets from observation hive so it wraps around them So if this is observation hive it goes over the top wraps around the back, closes up against the wall, and the wall is insulated. So, I have thermal uh, sensors inside each of those, outside the observation hive, inside, underneath this stuff, on the hot pocket. So, uh, and they are 10 degrees warmer than the air inside that building. So in other words, when it's 59 degrees, which is in the 50s right now, uh, it'll be 70. In, uh, in that pocket. So inside the observation hives, they can still do all the things they need to do because kind of the magic number in there is 60 degrees or warmer. They move freely about the hive and do all of their tasks in there with minimal effort and minimum resource consumption. So it's working really well for that. But now outside, let's talk about ways to fasten this stuff around your beehive. So for those of you who are wrapping it around, I don't want to caution you about this too. Um, if you're doing wraps around your hives and insulating them, this stuff relies on an airspace to work well. The other thing is, this is really reflective. In other words, you know, as a photographer and cinematographer, I've been looking at this stuff because if I need to, like, the sun's coming in at this angle and what I need to video is over here and it's in, it's in a dark area and the bees are flying in and out, and if I line this up and catch some sunlight, and reflect that into that dark area. I have a mobile reflector made out of double bubble that I could even mount this to a piece of cardboard or something. But that's not what we're talking about. But the airspace creates the thermal area. Otherwise, this is just a F, a R1 to 1.1, depending on which one you get. How to hold that onto your hive for those of you who want to do it. By the way, personally I wouldn't run it all the way to the ground and think that the ground is going to provide warmth uh, that would rise up underneath. I see nothing wrong with free air movement underneath your beehives. Uh, So if you've wrapped the sides, the most insulated part of your beehive, I want this to be the single point I make, the most insulated part of your beehive should be directly above your brood. So directly above and on the interior surface of your hive. So that insulated inner cover made a huge difference. So it, and it demonstrated itself uh, with thermal imaging, in other words, uh, where the cluster stayed, how big the cluster was, and how much warmth they generated, and that's just reading the surface temperature on the outside of the hive. Those with insulated inner covers on them did extremely well the other thing is they used much fewer resources but part of this question is how to hook these things together tape okay so the tape i'm not a fan of the whole idea because the duct tape yeah it doesn't hold very well i have a friend that made insulated covers for my nucleus hive boxes r10 so the really thick rigid foam and the whole thing was wrapped in that gray duct tape Uh, So that didn't work out very well. So you can paint your insulation, but this is double bubble now. So here's what I got for myself. This is Velcro. And by the way, there's a Velcro company. That's a trade name. This stuff has adhesive on it. So you've got the Velcro soft part and the Velcro hooks that go on here. And this stuff is very strong. So you could actually peel the backing off of this, stick it right on your Reflectex, or whether you're using whatever you're using, wrap it around, and then you've got your other Velcro piece, which also has adhesive. On the inside, it would come around, and of course, we know how Velcro works. But the thing about this particular adhesive on this Velcro, and I bought a bunch of boxes of this because I'm thinking of other uses for it. Uh, this is Extreme Outdoor. All weather including rough surfaces velcro so that's the box that it comes in you can buy them in different lengths I don't think you need a lot of them and I also think that you could take these and probably you know cut them in half or cut them in thirds and get a bunch of them and use it as a wrap and stick the velcro on there once you know where it needs to be and then you don't have to worry about stapling it or permanently attaching it and in spring or whenever the weather finally warms up You can pull those apart roll them up put them in a tote somewhere and save them for the following year so i think getting these extreme weather adhesive velcro tabs and holding things together that way could be much better now what if you don't want to glue stuff right to this what if you want to like overlap it and everything i have another velcro based thing these are Velcro straps, they come in different lengths, but you don't have to buy all the different lengths, by the way, because just like electrical zip ties, this one's only this big, right? But you get these big bags of them, and then you can hook them all together, and then you get these big long ones that go all the way around, and now you've got Velcro straps that go around your hives, and this will attach itself anywhere along the run really strong stainless steel right here so that doesn't rust so if you're wrapping your hives i kind of like the idea of a velcro belt system that you could use to wrap that up and then whenever you need to take it off same thing you put all these in storage somewhere get your double bubble or whatever you're getting and one another reason i was thinking about this and why i probably don't want to use it on the outside of a hive how reflective it is I kind of like the idea that uh, in the wintertime, when we get those rare days when it's really sunny and there's no wind and uh, the sun beats on the side of your hive, that's why my hives face, well not all of them. My most successful hives are facing south by southeast. I still have hives facing north, northeast, and west, and it's so I can make comparisons, but it's kind of a mute point now. The ones that face south by southeast do so well. That should probably consider that experimentation over with and face all of my hives south by southeast. But uh, that low winter sun comes in, beats on the side of the hives, warms them up, and those that are uninsulated fly earlier on those days. They get their cleansing flights and everything else. I don't know if you've ever seen what the gut of a honeybee looks like when it begins winter. So for example, I'm gonna draw a quick picture. Bees head, bees head, thorax, thorax, abdomen, abdomen, all through winter, bees that can't get out and fly into a cleansing flight. They have a digestive system, of course, that uh, they hold everything on board because bees don't go to the bathroom. They don't eliminate inside the hive. So let's do a really crude, it's gonna look like a question mark, digestive system this is where all the fecal matter would be stored at the end so we got the honey crop up here in the abdomen then you've got uh, the proventricula then you've got the ventricula which is this digestive system here and then here's the hindgut right so this is where all the waste material stores by the end of winter in most bees do you know how big this soil storage is let me draw it in perspective for you this is the size this is their poo at the beginning of winter this is their poo at the end of winter that's why the minute they clear the hive they're defecating yeah i don't want to paint that picture for you there but the more opportunity we give our bees to warm themselves and fly out and do these cleansing flights, the less of that waste material is maintained in the bee's body. That impacts their ability to digest, to consume resources and things like that. And uh, holding it on board while they go into their state of torpor is not, you know, we don't say fun for the bees, but uh, it's not good for them. It's not healthy. So this is another reason why I don't insulate My beehives, uh, because of this activity, also early in spring, when we start hitting March and April and when we get the early tree pollens and things like that, uh, also these uninsulated hives are flying out sooner. And I know we've made this argument before, Um, insulated hives have more resources in the hive, Uh, because they don't consume as much, because they're not having to maintain that balance of, of warmth and maintaining their brood and things like that. So the land's hives are super insulated. But guess what else those super insulated hives are not doing when it stays cold in there or they don't realize how warm it is outside as soon as the others do. They're not doing cleansing flights as often. So I, almost a case in point, the most productive colonies, and we just had this discussion a couple of days ago, have been those five frame nucleus hives that are just stacked vertical and they create this column five deep langstroth frames standard nucleus wooden box once they fill the five frames we put another one on fill those five frames put another one on so i have three three boxes high five frames each no supplemental feed no no insulation around the sides, but i do have those r10 insulation caps that go down the upper part probably three or four inches down below the handles on the sides so for me that's a model for what can work extremely well uh five over five over five they build up so fast so anyway i don't want to miss the point here but uh, all weather tape i don't know of any that's great that doesn't stink to the high heavens gorilla makes this uh, all-weather black tape and it smells like spare tires it is terrible stuff and i wouldn't put it on anything to deal with bees that are more sensitive than we are when it comes to olfactory senses so velcro absolutely velcro all-weather adhesive variety absolutely if you're gonna do that and i think that's super convenient plus we use these can use these over and over very interesting the people that are leaving these out to the weather but the reflective stuff, remember, is not going to get the sun's radiant warmth. Instead, it's going to reflect it. So there's judgment calls to be made at every turn. And that, if you can believe it, is my last question for today, so we're already in the fluff section. I know. Uh, so the shout-out, usually it's an individual or somebody's channel. Today's shout-out's going to be for a company because A lot of us are doing this activity right now. If you're like me, you pulled all your supers, they're stacked and waiting. That's because I have to warm them up before I go to extracting. So for backyard beekeepers, we use extraction tanks. So a lot of companies make them. And I have, every company I know of that makes an extraction tank has sent one to me. And uh, that includes Uh, hive butler they make a really good one plus the hive butler tank for your uncapping tank is a hive butler so it can pull double duty organizing your frames when it's not serving as a hive butler the other thing is I like that they had a plastic grid in it so it did not impact your honey food grade plastic you don't want whatever's in your uncapping tank to impact the flavor of your honey and this happened I ruined honey for another company I don't want to name the company but their uncapping tank had a standard carbon steel grid in the bottom of it and I don't mean stainless steel carbon steel if you run fluid over it or if you put your honey in contact with it for any extended period of time it is going to get the flavor of your honey altered and I blew it and included that honey from the uncapping tank in my regular honey that came from the extractor. Huge mistake because you could taste the difference. Why I didn't figure that out earlier, I don't know. So I'm gonna skip over that company. So, and and rather than say who they are, but doing carbon steel and, uh, because it can oxidize and everything else, you have to take care of that stuff, not a fan. So the next one is Pierce Uncapping Tank. If I had to pick an uncapping tank for a backyard beekeeper, whether you're putting these in your kitchen or if you've got a parlor where you uh, do your uncapping and stuff like that, or it's just your garage, wherever it happens to be, uh, the Pearson uncapping tank is the best made uncapping tank that I've found so far. It's thought out extremely well. Um, It's a large capacity. It's food grade plastic. And also they I have an option for you to get and I recommend you do. There's a 600 micron filter bag that you put in the bottom tank and then so my shout out, I'm explaining this to you but you're going to I'm going to give you a link to their video. And I cannot believe the Pierce company that has a YouTube channel only has 236 subscribers. All their products are 100% manufactured in the United States. This is the best uncapping tank. The other thing is they have a metal uh, grid that your bulk capping material gets stopped at before it goes to the second level, which is the 600 micron screen, the bag that comes with it. And the bag is good for a lot of reasons. Uh, One is for those of you who don't have an extractor. A lot of backyard beekeepers don't have extractors. So they do crush and strain. So if you're scraping that off and using your own capping tank for your crush and strain stuff, then it all goes through and uh, goes into that 600 micron bag and you pull that up and you drain your honey out of that and you collect it. And if you wanna do subsequent filtering, you can. One of the good reasons for having 600 microns is all the pollen still going through it. So your raw honey stays raw, it's still organic and it still has all the pollen in it that some people really crave. So it validates your honey. So my shout out today is to go to the video that I'm going to link down below where they demonstrate this uncapping tank. I think he goes over the features of it. But uh, I met the owners of Pierce Beekeeping at the Hive Life Conference. If you don't know what the Hive Life Conference is in Tennessee, Sevierville, uh, Google search it or I'll put a link if I find it somewhere handy. But... uh, It's the largest convention for beekeepers in the United States right now. It's gonna come up in January and I'm gonna be there and uh, all the big companies are gonna be there and a lot of uh, pretty well-known YouTubers are gonna be there and experts in beekeeping. So the Pierce Company was there last year when I went in January and I interviewed them and I talked to them. And uh, they make the hot uncapping knives and everything else. But everything that company makes, not only the bonus that it's made here in the US right now, which is super popular, um, the quality of what they make. So they're the kind of tools you buy once you own it. If you don't lose it, you're gonna have it probably the rest of your beekeeping life. I know me, but see, I'm no youngster, but uh, I know I won't need another uncapping tank, for example. And uh, when you're done with everything, you hose it all out and it's also well designed so that everything nests inside itself so that you can put it on the shelf for storage when it's not in use because storage for most backyard beekeepers is a very important thing because we need our stuff to work well to handle the capacities that we need it to but then when it's not in use we need to be able to close it up protect it from the environment keep mice and things like that out of it and put it back on the shelf so that's my shout out today, the Pearson Capping Tank Deluxe Tub Kit. They didn't ask me to do this. I get no kickback. I get no compensation for mentioning the company. I think they need a stronger look for more beekeepers. So that's that one. The other thing I wanna mention is that uh, a couple of days ago, I did an interview with a 10th grade researcher a very interesting uh, guy down in Florida named Atreya Manaswi. And uh, he did research with somebody that most of us know uh, at the University of Florida. So he's doing research with high level researchers, scientists, and PhDs as a 10th grader. And what's interesting is he's working with Dr. Jamie Ellis. So kudos to Dr. Ellis for running into a student, a high school student, that goes and visits the B Lab down at the University of Florida, Gainesville, and uh, meets this young man, talks to him, and brings him on board to learn about what's going on in the B Lab, and then later involves him in their research there. So I hope you'll watch that interview with Atreya, very sharp individual, and then I did see a comment underneath. I try to look at every comment, by the way, on all my videos. And someone said, well, he doesn't even keep bees. Uh, so he's doing research, right? Well, let me let me explain. That is, he is a researcher. That is true. And that is science, right? And uh, often you might be surprised to learn that some of the most prominent bee experts out there don't have a single hive of bees on their property and instead everything is tied in with whatever program they're doing the research with and research apiaries or people that they collaborate with but these top level scientists often don't have bees themselves but i want to make a distinction here Young people like this are critical to us. In fact, those who are willing to be in labs to do what is often very tedious research, just so that we can get answers to the way things work, and then on the practical side of things, where the real beekeepers are, uh, they don't have uh, time for that. They want to know, black and white, is this good for my bees, bad for my bees? How did you determine it? And often people scoff at or dismiss out of hand research that was done under a controlled study in a lab environment, right? We need both kinds of people. We need backyard beekeepers. We need commercial beekeepers. We need people that have practical experience and make observations, but can also test and validate what researchers have come up with in these labs. We don't have time for one person to do both. Randy Oliver, scientific beekeeping, he does a lot of experimentation, but if you notice too, his field tests, widely variable based on the environment that he's in, the climate, the bees that he's working with, and everything else where labs are designed to have 100% control so they can get answers to very specific questions. My stepfather was at the St. Louis University School of Medicine, before that, He was at the University of uh, Illinois biochemistry department, and he took me with him all the time. And uh, as a little kid, you know, you could barely keep up with him. He walked really fast, he's tall, he's a genius. And uh, I met lab people. So even at St. Louis University, the School of Medicine, you would meet these researchers that were fantastic people living their lives inside these areas and committed to research. I personally wouldn't want to do that. So I'm not interested in being so inspired by some lab study that I'm spending seven days a week in there, uh, 16 to 20 hours often a day, or spending my nights almost there just to keep up with an experiment that requires my attention every four hours or three hours or whatever it is. Uh, We owe a huge debt to those who are able and willing to commit to scientific research and have the kind of mind and inspiration that keeps them in those lab environments, answering questions that we have as practical backyard beekeepers. So putting somebody down because they don't own a beehive to me is a huge mistake because what they are is science-minded and then they can come up with answers that we have questions for that we could not get answers for out in our own backyard or in some larger apiary. So I appreciate both sides. So please, before you, know, you comment and say, oh, I don't even have a beehive, what good are they? Well, they're above average intelligence for starters and they can do things and are inspired to do things that the rest of us won't or are not interested in doing so. There's uh, another part of this. So there, there is a takeaway, by the way, uh, from my conversation with him, which I'll tell you right now. He, uh, talked about the studies that he's doing are three-part studies. So it's ongoing. He's going to be doing this right through the rest of his time in high school, but working with Jamie Ellis and everything that's validation right there. So, um, one of the things was small high beetles. I don't have small high beetles here. I don't have a problem with them. But one of the things that he came up with, which is very interesting to me, and should be interesting to those of you as often as small-height beetles come up as a problem. The bait, the top bait is described in that interview, and it's beer, by the way. And then they went into the volatiles associated with the beer and coming up with an even more potent bait, different from actually pouring, I think it was, I might be off a little bit, Miller High Life or something, was the beer that seemed to work the best but it was five times more attractive to the bees than say apple cider vinegar or something like that that people are using. So it's inexpensive, it's available and can be used. So please watch, I'll put a link to this interview with this guy and then you'll find out that uh, we have a very bright future in research related to honeybee biology if people like Atreya are any indicator of uh, what the future holds for us. So I'm on board with both the practical backyard testers and the high level scientifically-minded people that are willing to do research in lab environments. So the other thing too was he looked at uh, pollen patties and uh, pollen substitute specifically because pollen substitute is very inexpensive by the way compared to actual pollen patties and they've proven to be able to boost your bees' reproduction. So, uh, it was interesting too, because it always thought that Ultra B dry pollen sub was number one because it's touted all over the place and I didn't write it down here, but I'm going to say it's AP 24 or AP 23. For those of you who know, I'm sure somebody will write it down, but I put that also in the link and I'll put what it actually is, uh, right in the video description of today's video. So good practical takeaways. Um, And you can, of course, verify what happened, what they came up with. Does beer work better? Try it and no. And then same thing with the pollen sub. Which one do they go after the most? So I'm going to do my own studies on that dry pollen sub, though, not as a pollen patty, because I don't put pollen patties or um, pollen substitute patties inside my beehives. But uh, Randy Oliver, again, did lots of studies on that. And that's where he came up with the Ultra Bee as the top performer. But uh, I'm going to compare Ultra B with this AP stuff probably next month. So as an open uh, feed opportunity to get those foragers out and give them something to do other than rob each other out. So I want to thank you for listening today and for being here with me. And uh, if you want to post your own questions, please do go to thewaytobe.org and click on the way to Be page and fill out the form. Or take your chances and just write comments on any of the videos as they come to mind. So thanks for being here. I hope that you're closing up your bees in fine shape. For those of you here in the Southern Hemisphere, I know you're facing summertime. So good for you down there. And I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Thanks for watching. There it is, as soon as I get up and I think everything is over with, what did I find? The Cirrusel Bee Escape. This is it. These are the best bee escapes I have found anywhere of any design. Lightweight, they store well. Your bees go through the cones they try to get back up by going through here and the following day you're going to find all of your bees massed underneath you remove this lean it up against the landing board of the hive they all walk back in while you take off your cleared honey super thanks again for watching and now i really mean it have a great weekend